Hey, welcome back. It's season three of Garage Monologues. My name is Jay Swanson, and you've probably been listening for a while if you haven't already. If you're hearing this or seeing it, it means that you're on the public feed, which means that this episode came out about six months ago for my patrons. And if you'd like to get on top of that, if you'd like to see these episodes as they come out, support the show, help me to keep it going, because, you know, it's, it's everything's up in the air this year. There are a lot of big changes coming, but let me know over on patreon.com slash jswanson. You can support the show. You can listen to all the episodes from this season right now. You don't have to wait, or you can continue listening to them as they drop every other week for the next five or six months. It's the season of becoming French. And there's a lot of cheese that gets eaten in this season. I hope you enjoy it. And I've got my microphone. Yeah, you want to hold it. Cheers. Cheers. That was a bad clink, but it works. Welcome to Garage Monologues. Uh, episode, I think, I don't know, six or, I think it's six. Mark Shrine. Doctor, speaker, chief medical officer, American ninja warrior. <laughs> There's so many things. There's so many titles that go with Mark Schreim. Mark, actually, so I've known Mark, we've known each other for 13 years? years. Yeah, maybe 13. Well, if you think about it, it was, we met in, in Sierra Leone, didn't we? Did Which, we? When did you start on the ship? 2010. So yeah, 13 years. Yeah, so we wow, know each other. that's for, crazy. Yeah, because yeah. we would have met in Freetown. Mark just flew in from Dakar. Senegal. Uh, this morning. Had a one, oh, it was this morning? Yeah, yeah, I landed at six. I actually thought you got in late last night. No, Whoa, no, no. good morning to you, sir. Good morning. I poured him a glass of wine that we bought at <laughs> Frenchie. If you saw the 26 tips in eight minutes video, I bought this bottle to thank them for letting me film in there. And also, I figured we'd end up drinking it on the podcast at some point. Melting put. Uh, the joke that if you didn't get that joke before, go back and listen to the episode with Pushan. We talked about it before. But uh, welcome to Paris. Thank you. Thank you. Didn't realize you just landed. Yep. Yep. What is it now? It's two o'clock, so mm-hmm. eight hours ago. Two o'clock. It's uh, March nineteenth. We're filming this on a on a Sunday. We're, we're going to film it later in the week, but his trip has been cut significantly yep. shorter. Yep. So just grabbing you while you're here, um, Mark. I do you have like a brief intro you give for yourself? I can introduce you, but I'm I mean, curious. I don't go for it. So I, Mark, yeah. Mark is a uh, well. Actually, also I have your book on my shelf. I was going to pull it out. Mark's also an author, a published author, uh, going to reprint, I believe. Uh, because his book is selling so successfully. And I left a sign because he stayed here uh, over the summer when I wasn't here. And so I left a post-it note asking him to please sign my book, uh, which he thankfully did graciously. It was, it was a lot of work. Thank you for spending yeah, some ink. Yeah, it was a lot of work. Probably my own ink from my since it was here in my room. But thank you for, No, you know. no, that's mine. Oh, that is. That look is, at that. Uh, Ooh, you yeah, I, I carry a Sharpie spent, with wow, me now. Just that, yeah. good. I yes. love, dude, I love the Sharpie signatures. <laughs> so anyways, the, the solving for why, uh, there's a, uh, is this the subtitle? A surgeon's journey to discover the transformative power of purpose, which I was uh, privileged enough to get to read an early version of and give uh, my thoughts on. And it is... Uh, impressive that you're still my friend after reading an early version of that book <laughs> that's how all early books go <laughs> they're true insane. tests of friendship they really are they are because they all suck they are all but yours terrible. is good and this is a really good if you want to know uh his story of becoming so mark is a surgeon uh he has a very i guess a long and detailed uh history behind him because he's done so many things in his life and the interesting thing about it is that from the outside it's very easy to look at mark and think like holy crap how is any one human being this successful and dashingly handsome at the same time uh he is uh max can, are you maxillofacial or ENT? I'm ENT. yeah so you're an ENT. ENT's a, on the ship you perform maxillofacial yep. surgery yep. um and has risen through the ranks within the organization that i used to volunteer with mercy ships to the chief international medical officer international chief medical officer yep. 
and which is basically the number one ish, number two ish guy in the organization when you think about it. Because you have your CEO on one side and the chief operating s- officer on one side and myself. I was chief so operating I, officer. I report up to the CEO. Okay. So that yeah. you, you two are right below the CEO. Yeah. Um, so tied for number two, I guess. Tied, say. There's like, you know, there's a good <laughs> 10 of us that report to the CEO. Okay, fair enough. So Not to make it competitive here. Really but, tied for number two. But given that the organization is a medical organization, right. pretty, pretty, cru- like pretty in- essential. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Yeah, I yeah. think I think you're very essential to the to the whole experience of a, of a mercy ship. But uh, the book is really good because all, all that to say that also it delves into the struggles of actually knowing what you're supposed to be doing, why you're supposed to be doing it, and I think I I mean I struggle with this. I think we all do, but like the idea of imposter syndrome and looking at the world around you and thinking like, well, I obviously suck, and uh, and yep. regardless of where you are, regardless who you are, what you've you are. accomplished. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It, and I think it just it just doesn't go like it gets. Does it never go away? I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, almost fifty, and it hasn't gone away yet. So, got thirty more years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a good amount of time. Yeah, make it go away. Keep cranking away yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's funny because for me, it, it has changed, but it's always there. Like I think that for me, just diving straight into this, I guess. But for me, it's well, I mean, I think I think it's all about comparison at the end of the day. Like, if I stop and actually compare myself to other people, then I start to feel it. Yeah. But if I just pull back and just think, no, what what do I have? Where am I at? What's enough? Then I don't feel that. I don't feel it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was I literally just talking to a friend of mine about this this morning, um, <clears throat> who's a researcher, and she struggles with the same thing. She was she was like, you know, I she had a bunch of friends over, and she was saying to them. Uh, what's wrong with me? I can't stick to one research topic. I keep bouncing back and forth. And her friends uh, redirected her to say, no, you don't keep bouncing back and forth. You basically master every research question that you're asking. So it's a it's a reframing of, like, it's very easy for me to, to look and be like, oh, gosh, like, what's wrong with me? I can't do this. This is, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm terrible at this. Nobody Nobody wants this. Um, instead of, you know, looking around and actually speaking the reality, um, of what's actually happening without that, that color of the imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah. I think well, I just didn't think about it. part of it comes back to just, who's the time I, I talk about this in therapy enough, I think, but I've been talking with friends about how, like the way that I was raised and we were raised in similar ways, um, within the church and there's an element of like always wanting to curb your own Mm. confidence as well Mm. and to be like, well, I don't want to be prideful. So let me not like say too, too strongly how great I am at something. Right. Or actually I'm doing all right at this because as soon as you're like, ah, you know what? I'm actually pretty good. Then you're like, oh, well maybe I'm not. And it's really unhealthy and unhelpful. Also reframing almost that comes in where it's like, well, think about how small you really are. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just being able to say like, no, I'm good enough. Right. Right, and that's the balance, right? I mean, there is there is one can be too prideful, for sure, um, but also one can be too down on you know, on yourself. I mean, the world would be so boring without hubris that's and true. the ability to watch people <laughs> come crashing down. <laughs> well, but you know what? You know what? Actually, that's a it's a really interesting point. Um, there is a protective side to imposter syndrome because mm. if you don't truly believe you're good at something, yeah, then when you fail or if you fail, then you're like, yeah, see. I knew it. Yeah. Whereas if you come, you know, come to something with, 
with hubris and with like, yeah, I'm, I'm great at this. And you feel it. Then, then you've like set expectations so high. It's true. Yeah. But I think both of those are unhealthy because totally. yeah. there is a middle ground where you're like, well, I'm going to give it a try. And yep. then if you fail, you're like, well, I learned something. Yep. Yep. And that yeah. I feel like there's this, like we allow failure. I've been thinking about it a lot recently just because I think I'm also just tired and I haven't slept in a week and that, that has its impact. Mm, but it does. I look at, it, I look at my life and there are areas of it. I think in particular, like being single or like finding myself, this is a generational, a lot of it's generational stuff. Like generationally, we're not getting, we're not even hooking up anymore. Uh, we can't afford to own property. Right. Like the idea, my dream of owning a Paris apartment is feels like winning the lottery at this right. point. Yeah. I'm going to have to work so hard for it. And then when I get it, I'm probably going to feel guilty because mm. I'm going to, I'm going to know exactly where I came from. And this, I already feel this way. Like I'm, I'm so grateful for what success I've had and what I'm doing now. And I'm so, so grateful for everybody that's been a part of that. All my patrons who are obviously listening to this in real time um, and everybody who watches my videos, all that. But like, I already feel like I've, I've, I've kind of been able to step out of the morass into which I was born and mm. stuck. Right. So I have moments where I'm like, do I deserve anything else? Or, you know, and so then I get frustrated with like how far out of reach some of the things that I've always thought were possible in my life are. And then I look at like where I could be and where I come from. Yeah. And then that feeds into it where you're like, well, yeah, you, it's almost suffer. It leads to like a cycle of self-recrimination where it's like, I'm frustrated because I can't afford this. Well, I'm a bad person for not being grateful <laughs> for what I can afford. Mm, yeah. But is that really enough? And you know, you just keep going through the cycle where it's like, you just cannot win. Right. And so I think that's that other side of it where it's like, well, let's just take a step back here. I think it's okay to want to be able to afford mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. a house or an apartment. I also think it's okay to, you know, I don't know, to grow and to, to, to move, to move forward in life. I don't know where I'm going to go with this. This is just kind of nebulous in my head. I just, I just wrote a piece on this when it comes to, to medicine and to the fact that uh, doctors in the U S are just increasingly less and less happy, more and more yeah. burnt out, more and more overworked. And uh, the solution that our system gives us is, uh, you know, it, it, first of all, it, it names it burnout. Yeah. And the solution that our system gives us is we've got to be better. Mm. We've got to be more well. We've got to do the yoga, the whatever, deep breathing, email management, work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Putting the onus of the burnout on us. And the piece that I wrote was, was making the argument, I don't know how successfully, but making the argument that not only is that just harmful, mm. it also keeps people in a cycle of basically enslavement. Yeah. Because if I'm told that I, uh, that the reason that I'm not happy is a problem with me yeah. and I need to make me better and I'm still not happy then I'm just in this cycle. Like I, whoever tells me that has control over me. So the idea that, um, that you're unhappy about where you are because you're not grateful enough yeah. puts that onus on you and kind of keeps you in that trap. Yeah. That makes sense. Instead of being like, maybe we should actually make billionaires pay their taxes. I mean, maybe there are <laughs> systemic and structural <laughs> issues that are exactly. Yeah. yeah. When I think I, the, my frustrations recently have like boiled over on some of these things with like, Recycling, I think, is a really good and hopefully fairly apolitical thing to bring up. But I grew up, you know, in my small town, we had an actual recycling. We had two different recycling plants at the two universities next to us. And like mm. we could recycle the, the weirdest plastics and mm. whatever because they were actually using it at the school. And 
I mean, I hope so. And so then you, you had the citywide recycling, you had that. So that's what I grew up with. And then later in life, ended up in Texas where they were right. like, recycle what? And, right. you know, just threw everything in the trash. And it blew my mind. And I was, I was just like, no, you guys, how can you not do this? And fast forward another five or six years and we discover, oh, most of this was a lie. Yep. Most of the plastic was getting shipped over to China where they were sorting out what they could and then trashing the rest. Right. Now they're refusing to do that. And... Oh, who invented recycling? Ah, the plastics industry. Exactly. Doing exactly the thing you were just describing, which is like putting it on putting you. the onus on you, being yep. like, oh, is there pollution in the world? Well, that's not because we're producing all this. It's because right. you're not recycling it right. properly. Yep. Never mind, most of it can't be recycled. Right, right. And so there's that thing where it's like you, you, you're you, giving people a little pressure valve to like let off the steam and feel a little bit better about themselves, and the problem never gets better. And if you do want to make the problem better, again, the onus is on you. And it's... It's it is really frustrating to fall into that cycle, right? Right, and it does. It keeps it keeps those in positions of dominance and positions of sort of structural power in power. Yeah, it makes you feel like, uh, gosh, the temperature keeps rising, keeps rising, and keeps rising. I, I'm not doing enough. Exactly. Right. I, I own too many tote bags. Right, exactly. It's my fault that yeah. the world is ending. Right, or I forget my tote bag when I go to the grocery store oh, and I have no. to like pay the five cents bag. for a bag. Yeah, exactly. um, well, we're all going to die because of it. Yep. On that cheery note, <laughs> let's have some cheese. Um, so what do you got for as us? the theme, Mark, and for anybody who's just tuning in, uh, as we go down the road to citizenship as I wait to find out. I think, I don't know if there are any citizenship updates to give since the last time I just, I've submitted my application. It's been accepted. I'm waiting to hear back. So in the next two to six months, I hopefully will get an interview, but uh, we're going through all the protected cheeses, the mostly mm. the appellation d'origine contrôlée. Uh, Pouchon was nice enough to remind me of that. Cause I keep forgetting all my names, but they're all either in that or there's three other, there are three categories in total, but these are all the protected French cheeses. So we are trying to get through 67 cheeses. We are down to the last 27, of which we have 12 in front of us. Nice. Does that mean I got to do 15 next time? That's a lot of cheese. That's a lot of cheese. It's actually pretty tame. There's a lot of chevre. Okay. Um, there's Emmental in here, which is basically not even cheese. Kind of feel like we already did an Emmental. I feel, and we also did, a, I think, a Trou, uh, trou de Cru here, which like whole of the raw, I guess. It's a raw hole. Is that what that means? It, uh, mm. it smells like a raw hole. Okay. <laughs> that's the only one I think that's going to be terribly violent. We have another brie, which is going to be pretty strong, I think. Yeah, and then that we have a, uh, this one I'm going to say incorrectly, Cancoyote, uh, Cancoyote, I think. Uh, and they didn't have any nature or plain, so we got garlic flavored. Because out of the flavors that were there, she said you should get garlic. What were the other flavors? I don't even know. Right, she just enough. said don't don't bother, and okay. I was like, okay. Uh, it was a, quite the experience. This whole uh, slew, and I, I, there's a lot more than this because like the goat cheese, you can have to buy in whole chunks. Mm. You can't just get a slice of. So I had to buy whole chunks of a lot of this, but it still was under sixty bucks. Nice, which is great. Which is great. If you're in the states, one of these would cost sixty bucks. Yep. So that's good. These are all toasted. I kind of over toasted them a little bit. The baguette slices. Perfect. This should be good, but Excellent. I kind of forgot about them while I was cutting the cheese, um, in the non euphemistic way. And then this is untoasted. You got some uh, courgette there, some pickles, and uh, some red wine. So the way we've been doing it, then we just kind of go through in order, okay. work our way through. So the first cheese we're gonna try. Go ahead and uh, start getting. You've got a little slice there for all yourself. Right. The uh, rocamadour. Which, the way she was saying it, she really underemphasized the... You can just grab it with your fingers if you want. Okay. Uh, this one's a little melty. Like that. And then basically what we've been doing is just trying it and saying what comes to mind. You don't have to have a particular... We, we, we are trying to avoid the word tangy. Okay. All right. Uh, mm. But we can say it at least three times in an episode. And that's it. 
I mean, fair enough. Okay. Are we trying care. to avoid stinky and? Oh, you can call it stinky right, if you perfect. need to. Whatever, whatever word works. Great. Oh, that's crispy. That's a chef. It's really good. Nothing else we were trying to say too for people that. Where are you at on cheese? Do you have any cheese that you don't like or don't eat? Nope. Okay. I eat all cheese. Good. So, yeah. um, did you evolve to that level, or did you have you always been pro cheese for all cheese? No, I evolved. I grew up in Texas. Yeah. So you've spent time in Texas. I have spent time in Texas. When I was growing up. Um, our uh, our like reward, if you know you whatever you got good grades or whatever, was to go to this one particular chain restaurant that. Only Texans from the like 80s and 90s will know it's called Steak and Ale. <laughs> That's amazing. Steak and Ale would have this salad bar of like all the most pre-processed stuff. Yep. And the salad that I would get, salad, was those canned black olives yep. and shredded cheddar cheese. Amazing. So that's where I started. Amazing. And uh, yeah, now. Oh, equally. I mean, I, I, I was offended by so many kinds of cheese. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about this last, last week. Like, I was really disappointed because there was a blue, that one blue remaining, and I really wanted to get it. But she, they didn't have it, and uh, and when I was a kid, and even actually into early adulthood, blue cheese and I was the worst. Not friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I love it. There's, I don't know if this is proven or just a theory, but apparently, as you get older, yeah, your taste buds get less sensitive. Oh, is that why? Which is why adults can have things like you know, stinky cheeses yep. and not. Uh, get violently it's possible because isn't that also there could be a confluence of that and the you're basically the um hedonic treadmill to some degree could be where your brain is just used to this flavor so like it 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 needs more and more it's both yeah Yeah. like it's both that you probably your your tongue is dying slowly as you get older (laughs) and then your brain is also the elasticity of your brain (laughs) makes space for bigger things um this next one is the Maconnet. And so it's a Maconnet, which is a Burgundy cheese. Macon is the the place. I didn't know that they had their own uh, cheese named after them. Mm. But this is where I did Vendange, mm. uh, the the grape harvest a few years ago. Might do it again. Mm. The one downside to toasting it so much is mm-hmm. going to take us a while to come back to the microphone. That one is much gentler. This one has that dry, almost crumbly, like feta-like texture. Much milder. The first one was sharper and also had like, it was a little bit more melty. It's gooey. That's good. Okay, we'll keep keep dishing them up. Here's one for you. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. And one for me. Um, I guess I'll go with a lighter, more lightly toasted one this time. We are on the um, Peladron. 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 These are all goat cheeses to start. It's kind of like goat for a while cow for a while actually it's all cow after that so okay. got two more goats we, we might just plow through the goats here in a second no goats were harmed in the making of this podcast mm. we're back to like moist creamy and you only get the goat briefly mm. it's really aromatic you're getting goat in the nose that everybody's looking for. What do you want? Goat in the nose. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. So it's kind of almost sweet at the end. Maybe that's the baguette, but no, it is. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, that one's chill. If you want, if you want a good gooey chill cheese, it's actually it's got the similar uh, texture to it to like um, brie. Then um, the uh, 
Was that the Peladron? Peladron is a good one. And then the last one that we'll do right now, and then we can save one goat cheese for later, is got a t- is this one of those fluffy mold mm. exteriors that right. is really actually <clears throat> shockingly pleasant to touch, which in a disturbing way where you're like, ooh, that's mold. Um, it's you're, you're right. That is. It's like nice, yeah. and then you're like, in a weird way. Yeah. this is dangerous. Um, so this is not and actually I'm dangerous. To eat it. Yeah, and I'm about to eat it. So this is a picodon. Here we go. I'm getting a touch of wet dog. Nice and smooth. Really, this was not not my favorite. That one's okay. That one, there's not a lot of flavor in mm-hmm. that one. It's mostly overpowered by the baguette. Then That's not a good sign, yeah. And then there's the wet dog on top of it all. Don't forget you got some pickles here to cleanse mm, your palate. Yes. That one, um, this is a pickle. You need a pickle for this one. Okay, kind of disappointed. With goat cheese, when you go to buy, often they will sell it to you like in a little round, but you can't get them to cut it. And even this brie, they were in pre-cut slices. Um... It's A, it's so melty that it came with a plastic fence around it to keep awesome. it from falling apart. But then there's a point where they're like, we can't make this any smaller right. for you. Right. <clears throat> so you accept also, what you get. I've been thinking about this for the last... Also, I've been thinking about this for the last five minutes. Gournichon. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not courgette. Oh, yeah. Corn- thank you. <laughs> I was like, I know that's the wrong word, but what is the right word? Yep. Cornichon. Yeah. What is a courgette again? It's, it's a, a, a... Zucchini. Isn't zucchini. It? Yeah. My brain's not functioning no, either. That's fair. I don't, have the, I don't have the plane ride to blame for it. Um, so... How do you go? I guess. I, so, have you heard of the? Um, I just heard about these guys today, thanks to Mark Rober. Do you know Mark Rober on mm-hmm. YouTube? Uh, Zipline. Have oh, you heard of wait. them? Wait, is this the drone yes. blood uh, thing? I have heard of them. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool, cool idea. Yeah. So these guys are delivering blood in Rwanda to hospitals in country. Like it would take you four hours to drive there, and they can send a drone that'll deliver blood in like fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's in, it's incredible. It was really really cool. If you if you want to watch a video later. And you don't already follow Mark Rober, go watch it. It's really cool. He's highlighting it. Um, but it made me think of you because obviously we, on the ship, when I lived on the ship, and I think the case is still true, we are the living blood bank on the ship. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, for you, what are the things that I guess you look forward to? I, I don't know how much context we should give, so maybe you should give a little context for what Mercy Ships does and how they got to where they are today. But moving forward, whether it's through technological innovation like creating a new type of drone to deliver blood or education or whatever. How is it that you imagine having like a real impact on medicine? And I I was going to say globally. And so maybe you should also give us a brief definition of global health. Oh gosh, there it is. Global health is one of these concepts that is so difficult to define that there have been like, I don't know, 10 or so definitions. That it's like consciousness. It's like consciousness. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, so global health is this idea of, actually, no, let me go the other direction. Um, global health is often perceived as this idea of health over there, mm. health in countries that aren't ours. Which ignores the fact that we're part of the globe. Paris is on the globe. Yeah. You know, New York City, where I live, is on the globe. Um, <clears throat> so fundamentally, instead, global health is really this uh, this uh, attempt to decrease inequities in access to care, wherever those inequities exist. Yeah, and it happens to be that in some countries the inequities are more obvious, 
um, than in others, but they exist everywhere. Mm. Uh, unequal access to care exists in Paris and New York City uh, in much the same way for much the same reasons that it does in Senegal, where I just came from, or you know Sierra Leone, where I'm going to next. So that said, uh, Mercy Ships works in global surgery, which is global health applied to applied to surgery. So yeah. the purpose of what we do is to try to decrease uh, the inequities in access to surgical care worldwide. Um, where do I envision this going to make a real impact? So let me start with Mercy Ships. Uh, it's been around for 45 years. Um, started primarily as a, you know, let's, we, we dock these hospital ships um, in the port cities of countries with, uh, you know, higher inequities and in access to surgical care, and we do a lot of surgery. Yeah. Um, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, uh, there was a there was a seismic shift really in Mercy Ship's focus to as well to um, education, mm-hmm. realizing that uh, that there's a quote from Desmond Tutu that I really like. Um, it says, "At some point, uh, we need to stop pulling people out of the river, and uh, we need to stop just pulling people out of the river." And start asking why they're falling in in the first place. Yeah, I love that. And so it's the shift to yes, still pulling people out of the river, and also starting to ask why are they falling? You know, where, what What's are the sources upstream? of inequity? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and honestly, we uh, the 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 vision is to continue doing both. Yeah. Um, but to invest even more in longer term engagement in. Uh, in sort of training mm-hmm. uh, and building of surgical ecosystems. Um, I could talk about this forever, but there's a, the, the late Paul Farmer, for anyone who, who knows global health, a fairly mm-hmm. big name in global health. Uh, he died last year, but he used to say that access to care requires four things. It requires space, stuff, staff, and systems. Mm. We on Mercy Ships are primarily focused on the staff side, primarily focused on the workforce side of things. Um, with some emphasis on the others, uh, but you know the the workforce, uh, the the lack of surgical workforce uh, is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., there are about sixty four surgeons, anesthesiologists, and obstetricians per hundred thousand people. In Madagascar, it's zero point eight. That's insane. That's insane. I was just gonna say sixty four still seems low. Uh, I don't know if it is, right. but that like. But point zero is point zero eight. Zero point eight. Okay, zero point still. Still, still, it's it's. That's a fact. That's like eighty that's times a, yeah, more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's where we're trying to really uh, invest. Is um, it's almost two orders of magnitude, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's jeez. Is is a little bit of you know after so we are in country the ship is in country for ten months or so at a time. Yeah. We engage with countries for five years at a time. At the end of those five years, can we look back and say, uh, you know, there are more, whatever it is, surgeons, anesthesiologists, biomed tech, uh, perioperative nursing, et cetera. There are more of those people in the country yeah. because of the work we've done than there were five years ago. The, the question that keeps bouncing around in my head for a little bit of context also within like the training that goes on and the ability to actually level people's skills up within country, how do you fight against the potential for further brain drain as a result of yeah. your presence. Like you, or you scale these people up, but then they have an opportunity to leave mm-hmm. maybe quote unquote to study, but then they never come back. Yeah. 
or they happen to already have a connection with a country like France, a former colonizer that they right. have an inroad to. Right. I know, I know that, that like, uh, that's been a problem in the past. Is that a continuing problem? It is. A brain drain is a continuing problem, um, for sure. Um, and it costs, it costs donor countries, countries whose, donor right, countries. whose peoples are, who people are leaving. It costs them on the or billions of dollars per year. It's insane. Um, in, in sort of health, in the costs of people not being treated because the doctors are no longer, doctors, nurses, et cetera, are no longer there. Uh, we do want to work with organizations, and there are some organizations who have shown um, high retention rates yeah. on the order of 90, 95% of their graduates stay in uh, stay on the continent and something like 80% stay in their country. Yeah, um, that's good. It's good. I mean, it's not it's amazing, not 100%, but, yeah, but it's like it's, yeah. it's still good. Uh, because yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. Well, you can't uh, blame them for course. also skilling up and wanting to. No, of course. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier, right? Like you have a chance to provide a different, better, maybe right. life for your family. Right. And that's the thing. It's you know often often it's it's framed as a well you can get paid more in Paris, which is true. Yeah. But also, uh, you you're a surgeon. You train to do all these sorts of things. Yeah. But then you are working necessarily, not necessarily in institutions where you can do right. it. The satisfaction of doing your job right. may not it be may present. may not be there. Your education for your children, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of the factors. The cheese platters. That, the cheese platters. Um, <laughs> Speaking of privilege. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say one thing that you you, uh, you talked about upskilling providers yeah. um, or leveling up the skill of providers, uh, which is a lot of what Mercy Ships has been doing and will continue to do. Uh, there. There is a slight shift in our focus now mm. um, because the issue really isn't that the surgeons in the country are not skilled. No. You bring them onto a beautiful platform like, you know, Mercy Ships that has all the things that they could want. They are just as good, if not often better than we are because they've had to deal with, yeah. uh, you know. Um, They're seeing things you've never that, seen. Seeing yeah. things you've never yeah. seen in environments that are not up to. Yeah. So it's not that, so the, even the idea of upskilling has a bit of a tinge to it. Mm. And the issue really isn't that the 0.8 providers in Madagascar aren't skilled. The issue is that there are only 0.8 providers in Madagascar. Yeah. So can we increase the number? Can you increase the number? And also, yeah. I mean, I remember stories from Gary and others. I'm sure you've told stories similarly to like what you're talking about as far as like maybe they, you have this fully competent and completely well-educated, skilled surgeon who comes back, but then their support team doesn't have the same yep. education. Yep. Their nurses don't, yep. the, they don't have the supplies because whoever's running logistics doesn't think right. to right. order stuff a month in advance or however long it takes. Right. So then you also run into these problems where you, maybe you don't have, maybe focusing on the surgeon is the wrong thing. Maybe you should go in and figure out how to help the guy who orders soap think about ordering it three months from now. One of the reasons that surgery has been uh, neglected in the global health conversation is exactly that. Mm. Um, I use the example often, and actually, let's let's talk about COVID, for example. Um, uh, you know, I used to use the example of HIV treatment. Mm. Treating HIV is hard um, because right now it's it's a, you've got to do you've got to take the medicines for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's not a chip shot, um, but the difference between HIV treatment and surgery mm. is that the drug, whatever the drug is, can be manufactured wherever mm. and then brought as a pill to the patient. It can be sent by a drone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. With surgery, 
you've got to bring the entire means of production mm. close to the patient. Yeah. And that means the space, the staff, the stuff, and the systems. Right. That means the surgeons, the anesthesiologists, the nurses, biomed tech, uh, healthcare administration, mm. uh, and also the stuff and the staff, uh, stuff yeah. and the space. So it's a hard field to work in, but it's also, that's the rewarding part of it. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Like yeah. you're basically building, you're basically building manufacturing on site. Basically. In a sense. Like basically, Obviously, yeah. it's apples and oranges between manufacturing medicine and, and bringing people in to do a skill. Right. But, right. but that, I mean, that, that does completely change the game. It does. It does. Now, in theory, and what we really hope, and I'm saying what we really hope because I, we don't have evidence for this, but we really hope is if you, you know, fix the sterilization and electricity and water and whatever that you need to do surgery, you mm. fix that in a hospital you uh, bring it up to up to standards well you've done that in the hospital so yeah. hopefully there are these positive knock-on right. effects um that come from that but then you also have these are these are maintenance issues over long they over are. term as well they and are. then you have training and yep uh, you can walk yeah. in and you can build something but that doesn't mean it's going to stand for five ten years right one of the one of the programs that i think is the coolest that we do is our biomed tech mm. training um because yes, there's a, my friend, a friend of mine calls it the junk for Jesus problem. <laughs> there's a problem that, and it's something like 70 or 80%, maybe even 90% of the stuff that gets donated just doesn't work or right. is unused or sits in a closet somewhere. Yeah, it's useless. It's the donor North feels, Face jackets to the exactly. tropics. Yeah. The donor feels great because, oh, look, I gave a, a CT scan that I no longer need because it's 10 years out of date. Right. But, ooh, I've given it to Africa. Yeah. Um, Without a maintenance contract, without right. uh, adequate training in biomed tech. <laughs> or even a user's manual. Or even a user's manual or anything right. like that. Um, and it got shipped like in unprotected states. So like, by the time it got there, things right. are falling off of right. it. And So that's, that, I mean, that gets to, it's, surgery is an ecosystem. And oh, yeah. It gets to trying to work on all parts of that ecosystem. I think the, th the cool thing, I forget where I was reading this. Uh, it might have been actually in this book that we were talking about before. I just finished a book called Love's Executioner which is just a great title, but it's a book about psychotherapy. And I don't remember if it was him or the other, the woman whose book I wrote recently, read recently, which was um, uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Somebody. Both very good books about therapy and the stories of people going through it and the therapists themselves. But they talked about that. I think they're in their medical training. What I felt like I came to see in seeing surgery so much was that so much of medicine including surgery, is basically just helping to get whatever the problem is out of the way so the body can heal itself. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. And which is beautiful and a fascinating thing. But when you go to that level of it's one thing to say like, oh, you have a hormonal imbalance. We're just going to correct that for your body for a minute and then things will shift. And it's completely different to be like, okay, we're going to carve a part of you out and then put you back together. And like the, the levels of complexity that go into that. And the more that I feel like I learn about the human body, both in the, the miraculous nature of it, but also like what you do for a living, like there's still parts of my, there's, I don't know that I'll ever fully understand, like how do those capillaries end up like, do they reconnect? Do they grow? Yeah. Do those yeah. things, do they, what, like how do the nerves manage to reconnect over time? Like all these things that come back together. Yep. You're not going in there and like stitching, like, like soldering little mm -hmm. pipes together. You're just like... Just like mashing it together and, and hoping, hoping it, it does yep. what it does yep. it's it's amazing um but like you're to your point and not to belabor it but I, it is hundreds of people that have to be doing something well in order for one person to heal yes yes 
Yes. And, and at all levels, right? Like um, all support, like you're talking about sanitation or even just electricity, like mm-hmm. making sure that the grid that you're plugged into doesn't go out in the middle of surgery, right. making sure that like things are actually properly cleaned and sanitized, making sure that people wear gloves. Like when we were, was it in Congo? This probably happens all over, but when we were in Point Noir, wasn't it there that they like, they would literally give shopping lists to the patient. Oh yeah. It's and, a lot. That's a lot of places. And it's like, you go out into the market yeah. you find all the stuff we're going to use for your surgery. Yep. And then they're like, well, we got half of it. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, here we're we going to do the best yep. we can. Yep. We don't have sutures, but yep. you know, yep. staples, you know, yeah. like I, whatever it is. And it's, you know, the idea of, of putting a ship on a hospital and sailing it into a country is kind of odd. Yep. It's weird. Um, but yeah. you're getting at exactly, uh, the reason that we can do some of the complex surgeries that we do, again, is not because we are any more skilled than the surgeons and anesthesiologists that are there. It's that we know the electricity is not going to go out. Yep. We know that there's reliable water and oxygen and as medical gases. As long as the intakes don't get blocked. As long as, you know, so, but, but we, have, we also yeah. have backup systems. Like yeah. We have all of that. So we, as the, as the providers, can take on riskier things mm-hmm. because we know that we've got that safety net and, and that's not, always the case in the places that you go um i work with my hands for a living i yeah. sew for a living yeah you do right very 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 incredible skill by the way thank you um I've, you know, like i i've i've tried not on a re- not a human but i've gone through like the training that they've put on whatever it's not easy yeah but it's so impressive i had a hole in my jeans this was five years ago so yeah. i had a hole in my jeans and i was like well i i sew for a living yeah. let me just take some i literally took some suture <laughs> um <laughs> sewed up the hole in my jeans and it it lasted a week yeah and that really drove home to me what you're saying is that uh you know if you're actually making a pair of jeans mm. this seam has to last yeah mine has to last 48 hours before right. the body really starts the healing yeah. process. Uh, so it's a completely different skill. It's funny. I thought of the French verb coller, you know, mm-hmm. like it yeah. starts to stick together. Yep. Basically, exactly. But exactly. It's amazing. Like the, the human body is, is miraculous. And yeah. you know what makes the human body even more miraculous? Cheese. It's ability to digest cheese. Absolutely. So we've got one last go- goat cheese. I believe it's the, um, uh, 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 shabby shoe. Let me get to the trou de crew, <laughs> de crew which I'm not excited about. Uh, thank you. Very well, very well placed. Thank you. Nice amount of goat cheese. You can just <laughs> go straight for the rind. It's good. The only rinds that I don't eat are the hard, dirty ones. Stronger than the last one. This is where we can say tangy, I think. Mm. I really like it. It's super complex. It's re- it is taking me on a journey. Mm-hmm. This is on. This is getting to the drier side of creamy, but it's still really creamy, like heavily compressed. Um, heavily compressed. Yeah, That's good. It's, it's or you could say dense. Maybe it's smooth, and it's a roller coaster of experience. Mm-hmm. It's really aromatic, but there's like a really sharp, like maybe acidity, but like an acridity across my tongue. And there, but there is there is a sort of sweetness at the end of it. Mm. That's good. What, that was delicious. Was that, that was the um, that was the shabishu. Okay, shabishu. I don't know what the vowel stands for there. I, could, I have the full list on my phone. We can look up the, the longer names, but we should probably get the true to crew over with. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be. <laughs> you've been you've been building this one. Up. I know. I shouldn't have built it up so much, but I got it. You know, we're gonna it, need some pickles after this one. You, your oh boy, oh boy. You might want pickles before. I don't know. Um, 
there you go. There, it's this is one of those cheeses, though. Honestly, I I feel like I've had it before, and it's very similar to another cheese that we've had already on the show, which is uh, I don't remember, but it looks because it comes in a tiny little nub that then they wrap in plastic and then they wrap in a hard plastic because it just melts. Right. Like you see that it's completely melted, and as soon as I opened it, so that I said this last time, but basically, anytime you get a cheese that's wrapped in plastic, it's either because it's going to melt as soon as you open it, right. or it stinks to high heavens. Right. This one was both. It's both. Great. Yeah, but that, it could be delicious. Oh, I don't like that smell. Mm -mm. That is a violent flavor. It's really salty. Oh, gosh, the end. Oh, yep. it was really good for the first 10 seconds. Oh, it's not good. But it's not good anymore. It's like the oh. saltiness I like, but the it's like uh, it's like somebody made a, a knife out of salt and shoved it mm. into my tongue. That was a punch in the face. <clears throat> and then you get the barnyard That's exactly smell. what it is. That's exactly what the punch in the face. Oh, The barnyard smell is a nice way of saying, hey, that ha may have already gone through an animal. Mm -hmm. Time for pickles. Yeah, pickles for sure. And maybe some more wine. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And then and just going, ooh. Like, I get the... I'm back at the state fair all of a sudden. Mm. You went to state fairs growing up, right? I did. In Texas? I did. I'm glad we got through that one. Now we're... It's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from Because the next one is Gruyere, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's a Gruyere Reserve. Hard cheese that I really like. Mm. Don't need any bread for this, necessarily. I'm not saying you can't have bread, obviously. But that's when you get to these ones, you can just munch on them. Mmm. I love Gruyere. It's really good. It's got a bit of that manchego-y mm. nuttiness. Mm -hmm. Even though it's cow, not sheep. Cows like nuts. I don't know, actually. <laughs> That's good. This one's sweet. It's got actually got like a very fruity. Mm -hmm. It's making me think of like, I don't know about apples or something elevated, like something like not citrusy, but something like red fruits maybe or something, you know? I don't know. It's delicious though. It's delicious. So, and then you're going to have a big letdown because Emmental is next. Still good. AKA Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese, yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's fine. It's just kind of, well, let's find out. I'm prejudging. Maybe this is going to blow my mind. Right. Like this may be the like platonic ideal of Emmental. Because I'm pretty sure this is from Savoie. One of these cheeses was actually, I think the Gruyere was actually from Switzerland. Mm. Full disclosure. So not an AOC. They didn't have the French version. Right. But occasionally we're going to just have to do the best we can. Delicious. The Swiss cheese, ironically, is French, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> No holes in this. Well, there's there are holes in part of it, I think, but yeah, I just don't. I don't. And the texture, it's rubbery. It's rubbery. It's like string cheese. Yeah, but string cheese at least has more flavor and more fun. And way more. Fun. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, it's I'm funny gonna, how I'm gonna finish it. You finish it. Go ahead. It's still good. It's just boring. It's fine, but there's actually something to me with the texture that's unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And like the only flavor that's coming in. Is like that um, tangy adjacent. It's like a <laughs> Does that count as one of our three like, tangies? No, it's, it definitely is not a tangy cheese, but it's got that. It's got a metallic through line mm. that like I don't like. It's like mm -hmm. I'm sucking on pennies. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like if you if you eat in if you bit into like a snotty penny. <laughs> I'm glad I finished it. Before it's not you said nearly that, that bad. It's but not. It's 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 decent. It's, it's just boring. It's just boring. It's, it's just not really boring. And yeah. also. 
I actually not. I, yeah, maybe it's the true to crew or something is so, but something about it. Well, we just came off. Of, I know we can't. Uh, the Gruyere was the really Gruyere, good. Yeah. Okay, so that was the Emmental, and we have a, a, a Tom de Bouge. Okay. Which I was a good thing that she said that out loud for me because I would have totally mispronounced that. Like, uh, Tom de Bouge. You see it? Yeah. Like Place de Vosges. Yeah. But spelled totally but differently. Uh, so this is the Tom de Bouge. It's got a really crispy rind that I will not be eating. Actually, looks like bark off of a tree. Mm. For a tom, this is also pretty bland. Oh, really? I like it. <clears throat> there's a there's a cheese that my dad used to like. My, I'm Lebanese by descent, and uh, I thought you said by the scent. By the scent, I'm Lebanese by descent. Like, is that what the smell is? It's delicious. And there is a cheese I cannot remember the name of it right now. But that tastes very much like it. Mm. It like brings back memories of, you know, being five. I love Tom yeah. as a whole. With the name and just the look of it, because it looks really aged. Yeah, it does. I totally expected it to have more of a kick. Mm. Not that Tom is usually pretty pretty mild cheese. It's not ever strong, but it's usually very flavorful. Anyways, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, have you been, Did you, have you, I don't actually know the answer to this. I feel like I should. Have you gone to Lebanon with your family? Not since 1987. It's a long time. It's a long time. This is. I was two. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thirteen. Um, you're older than me. What the I heck? Am, How did you do that? You can't tell with the bald heads and the no, beards. No, but you're also dude. Yeah, you just but look at this guy. He doesn't age. You're yes. so handsome. Because I don't have kids. It helps, right? On the stress levels, yeah, yeah. that'll yeah. do it. Um, so last time I was in Lebanon. Also, I was going to say earlier, I don't know if you noticed it, but good job powering through the Cooper farts. You had a nice long, you were explaining. I totally missed the Cooper farts. I'm glad you did. I, I, I took it, it all. Together. I was like, wow, he's doing a great job. <laughs> like I keep resisting referencing you know, this. Missed it all Speaking together. of kids, farts and stress, not the Cooper's a kid. Anyways. <laughs> he is though still. He's he's still, a, yeah, he's, he's, no, he's a year and four months. Okay. Yeah. He's so still he's, a kid. In, in the, near the end of his adolescence. We can talk yeah. about Cooper in a minute. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, no, no. So uh, last time I was in, in Lebanon, uh, there was this. There was this ice cream shop um, near where some of my family live outside of Beirut um, that we as kids like adored and would go there like every day. Uh, so on our last day, uh, we went there and had a whole bunch of ice cream. And this was a, this was at a time when Americans could not fly into Lebanon. Oh, so we had to fly in. You had to fly into either Syria or Cyprus and then make your way into. Even though, you were born there, weren't you? Born there, yeah. But they didn't recognize that. Um, I I think I was American because you had American, American citizenship. citizenship. Okay. Yeah. So we'd flown into Cyprus and took taken the over, overnight ferry in. It's cool. And we're taking the overnight ferry back out, and I got massively sick, like food poisoning. Oh, no. Ended up in the hospital. Oh wow! Like IV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whoa! Um, and for however many years now, I'm not going to say how many. Um, that the name of that ice cream shop has sort of been, you know, it's been the story in our family. Yeah. So when I was living here in Paris in this apartment last year, um, yeah, that ice cream shop is now here in Paris. Interesting. And it's got a long line around it. Have you been to Bashir? No. In the Marais? No. Yeah, it's really good. I actually went there I've to heard like it. get over the... Right. And you, I survived, did not get sick. It's good. It's good. It's very good ice cream. It, it may not have even been the ice cream. It might have been the fairy food. Who knows? Yeah, it might have been. Who knows what it was? Don't sue us, Bashir. That's right. You, you, you yeah. redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah. This was, whatever, 40 years ago. I had a tragically similar experience with Sriracha. Really? Yeah, I got. I had this thing. Had two or three times where the whatever. This is gonna get gross for a second, so <laughs> feel free to fast forward a solid two minutes just in case. Uh, you know where are we at on the time. All right. Um, 
but basically like I had this thing that happened a couple times where like I, I would get some really bad um, heartburn. It was basically because like the, the sphincter exiting my stomach just mm-hmm. wouldn't open, yeah. yeah, I guess. And so then it just would build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. And then it would lead to some very unpleasant nights, both between the pressure and the reliefs of that pressure. Um, and the first or second time that that happened, I think it was the second time. It was right before I hopped on a flight to Paris. Oh, gosh. I had eaten with a friend and just put sriracha all over it. Oh, and no. so sriracha was what was stuck was in my head, in head yeah. as this is what did it. And it took me so long to be able to actually eat sriracha without having a, like a guttural response to it. Which is a shame. Which is terrible because sriracha is delicious. It's amazing. amazing, yeah. So now I'm over it. But I still, every once in a while, like Pushan has like three different types of sriracha that like like the hemp sriracha is shockingly good there's hemp sriracha yeah it's really good and um and so like we'll put that on the food whatever and and just every time i taste it i'm just like ah i'm fine but it's amazing how your body like responds to to food like that because it doesn't want you to get poisoned and die well you know one of the it's no longer really used all that much but one of the old treatments for alcoholism oh no was something called antabuse yeah which was a drug that would make you throw up if you drank alcohol Ooh. to implant that yep. like psychological connection between yep. alcohol and, uh, is, and throwing up. That would do it. It's a really horrible and barbaric treatment. But, you like, know, you drink yeah. enough alcohol, you'll do it anyway. It's so, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, yeah. We talk about that a lot because, like, I think also the cheese conversation has been ongoing in this uh, season. And for me, like... I, I, I want to make sure that I reemphasize in the videos that I make, especially, but like that, like people their food is dangerous, right? Mm. Like intrinsically yeah. what you eat, what you put in your body can kill you. Yeah. And so there's a, there's an evolutionary psychological, there are all these reasons why new food is scary. It's legitimate. You've been wired that way. Right. Right. So like when you come to a new place, you try new cheeses, they smell like barnyard, whatever. And you're like, I don't know about this. I also, I feel like there's, there is the, I have struggled with this in the past. I don't need more. I feel like a lot of people struggle with like that self-recrimination of like, oh, why am I not refined Cultured or adventurous? Or yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is it's like, no, you're, you're having to fight against your programming to try new things because right. you weren't raised with this. Right. You don't know. Right. Like I had sriracha. I knew better and I still refused to eat it for a long time because like it just made my, my yeah. I felt physically ill whenever I smelled or tasted it. And... All that to say, if you're here and you really need to, uh, to go to McDonald's for a break mm-hmm. and just to de-stress and have some, no judgment. That's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it is interesting. Like we get we get wrapped up in this and it's really nice to be in a place where I enjoy all of this. Well, to some except degree. For, except for one. Yeah, except yeah. for one. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I actually still appreciated elements of it and that, but that it just takes repetition, right? It just yeah. take, you got to put well, in the... And also the new food that we tend to be eating... Sushi is a great example. Mm. Right? Can actually make you sick. Yeah. Well, it can actually make you sick, but it's also it it goes against all the things that you were taught. Right. Right. Eating snails. Why would you ever eat snails? Why would right. you ever eat insects? Why would you ever eat something that has mold growing on it? Right. All the things that you've been taught are wrong. Yep. All of a sudden, these new foods force you it's to true. confront. You have societal pressures yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Getting trained to to miss out on good stuff. Yeah, it's true. What's the, I guess, what, what have you found has been the biggest help for you in trying new things and taking those kinds of risks? You know, I don't know. It's this, I don't know when it started, but um, this like rule in my life that I will try anything twice uh, besides heroin because <laughs> nobody tries heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, like, and maybe not that cheese. I may not want to go for a second round. Give of that, that a try. Particular one. I'm but, pretty sure I've had that one before. But it's yeah. It's there's so much 
to experience and I feel like my, I mean, this is this such, such a privileged thing to say, but I feel like my life has been so enriched by the travel that I've gotten to do yeah. and the, the, the being confronted, having your rules confronted yeah. by other rules and yeah. other cultures that at this point, honestly, I'd rather try something and have it taste like barnyard yeah. than not try it. Yeah. hundred percent. I think similarly, like I, I'm in a place where I've tried to, I mean, unless something's absolutely horrible, I guess, but like, I would like to always be open to coming back to it mm. because also a lot of these things you don't run into that often. Right. And I find that my palate has changed so much. I used to hate pickles. I used to, there's so many things mm. I used to not eat. And for me, I look at it and I think, and I feel like I've said this before on the podcast, but I feel like for me, I'm it's like your gym teacher being like the only person you're cheating is yourself, you know? Right. That, that's exactly it. That's exactly. And it. so like the only person that's missing out on pickles is me. The only person that's missing out on any of these cheeses is me. So like granted, I may not like it now and that's cool. I'm not going to eat it again soon, but if it comes back around, I'll try it again. Yeah. But I want to say like, as you were just saying before, um, not taking that position is also perfectly fine. Right. Like yeah. it is okay to be like, no, I really don't want to put raw fish in my mouth. Fair enough. And that's like, that's, that's my line. Yeah. So I think it's like, yeah, that's been my approach to it, but yeah. that's because it's both of our approaches doesn't mean it's the right approach. It's true. And I think you do a good job of that too, where the remaining mindful and saying, all right, take the pressure off. Right. Like, I think, I think it's important because I, I, uh, I mean, I'm in a place where I definitely would encourage anybody to, like I said, take a break and go to McDonald's. Yeah. Like we're not, not above that, but at the same time, I guess, I wonder what, what is that balance though, too, to encourage people to try new things, right? Like, where is that balance to be like, I know you don't like it, right? but well, trust me. But also, <laughs> like, I'm one of those people that has the genetic uh, mutation that makes cilantro taste terrible. That's so sad. It's, But it's really not because cilantro is terrible. <laughs> um, Just ate, like, a whole pound of cilantro <laughs> for lunch. But, but, you know, there's a point where doesn't matter who tells me that right. I should just try it again. You no, I never like it. I will never like cilantro. Yeah. I just literally cannot like cilantro. So it is a, a respect. It's a respect for for whatever position somebody's taking and also maybe uh, sort of creating a culture of safety where yeah. the, they won't feel like they're judged whatever their reaction is. Yeah. Um, well, I yeah. just feel like I'm in a place now where I'm, I kind of don't care what anybody eats or drinks. Right. Like um, to some degree, it's like, you do you, I'm going to enjoy this. Right. But right. there's also that part of me that's like what we've talked about as far as like, but man, my life's been enriched by this. That You want to share what you love and we've discovered. And so I think there's also finding that like balance of, oh my gosh, this is super good. Um, you know, like I, there are just certain, there are people in my life who I've stopped really trying to bring stuff home to yeah, kind of, because know? they don't, they're just not going to appreciate okay. it and that's fine. Yeah. And I, but I think there's that part, there's a, a sadness to that for me where it's like, I want to share this with you. Mm. I can see that. And I can't be, and, and then I guess the challenge becomes, Oh, we ran out of, uh, the videos over, but that's okay. The audio will continue. If you made it this far in the video part, you'll just enjoy, enjoy the no space on the memory card. Whoops. The, the sound of us eating cheese. The sound of us eating cheese. We do need to finish the cheese. Uh, and that's okay. It's a podcast, right? We'll just go without a uh, video for the rest of that. But right, fair enough. I think there's that. Yeah, I think for me, well, I'm just trying to kind of home in on like why, if it bothers me, why does it? I think it's because it feels like I'm missing out on a relational opportunity when 
there are some people that are open and willing to try, but it can feel personal. And I know it's not intended to be personal, right. but it can feel personal when you're like, I found this thing. I love it. I'd love you to try it. Yeah, right. And that and rejection like, of the thing feels like a rejection of you. I can see that. I can totally see that. Um, and you maybe know, you just got to grow up and accept that. But, you know, it's just it's also kind of sad. It is kind of sad. I mean, I, I've, I keep using the the example of sushi. I adore sushi. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it is sad to, you know, there, there are people in my life who don't like it. And yeah. it's sort of sad not to be able to share that with them. At the same time, um, that's asking them to meet me on my terms. It is. Yeah. I have the opportunity to meet them on their terms. Um, it's true, but relationship yeah. is has to it's be something that goes. It's a two-way thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're always meeting people on their terms, it's not a relationship. Sure, sure, sure. sure. So yeah. I guess that's the other side of it where I totally agree with you. Like, meet people where they're at. Right, but. right. We got to learn to speak. It's like in anything, you got to learn to speak the other person's language. It's true. If I, if I were to talk, uh, bringing it back to surgery, if I were to talk using the medical jargon, uh, it would go like it wouldn't mean anything to anyone. It's just it's just gibberish. Right. Um, it's learning to translate that into yeah, language that they understand. Well, and it's a thing. Speaking of the cheese, we can finish this off. Yes. We, we have a raclette as well. So oh, speaking, okay. of, speaking cheeses, of stinky cheeses, this is the, the raclette for you. Excellent. Oh, um, I never finished this one. Unmelted raclette. I don't know if I've ever eaten raclette not melted. Um, I think it is that thing too, though, when you move abroad, it is a thing you have to learn. And part of it is a maturing thing where when you come back, the language of what you've experienced is something that isn't also spoken. Yes. yes. The Go ahead and dive into that if you want. The whole, you know, that sense of... People don't have necessarily, it, they, I, I have this, like when I went to India for the first time, I, I had a huge gaping hole in my imagination for what to expect. And I kept filling it with like West African experience because mm. that's what I had. Um, you know, and that's the same thing. If somebody hasn't traveled, if they haven't tried things, like they don't have a point of reference. It's very hard. It's just naturally hard to relate. So I also understand that. And, and I get that. And I think then it's just, it's just tricky when you then try to help somebody bridge that gap and they don't take the journey with you. Well, first of all, how's the raclette? Unmelted raclette is so much better than melted raclette. I really like that. And I don't generally like raclette. Yeah, there's like a sweetness to this. There's sweetness to it. It's a little milder. It's not as in your face. This is raclette de Savoie, so it might have an impact. Huh. I don't know, but that's pleasant. That's really good. Yeah, when yeah. you fry it up, it stinks the place it up. It really does. I can tell... That stinkiness is in there, it's but there, it's not yeah. unlocked. You yeah. Know? yeah. Oh, that was nice. So maybe it's the it's the domain that I work in, this domain of global health, which uh, you know has a colonialism problem. For sure. It's definitely got a colonialism problem. So I, maybe I'm just sort of super attuned to this. Mm. Um, that um, how much of how much of the things that we're saying here about people trying, you know. Un unmelted raclette is tinged with uh, I know better I, my life has been enriched therefore yours must be right you know let me let me bring you to my uh, whatever vaunted levels but I want to come to your vaunted levels that's fair it's fair <laughs> I'm tired of living down in the slums <laughs> um, I think yeah 100% I, it, it is like that it's a it's a balance between not wanting to impose your beliefs or your views of the world on anyone else. And maybe I, it's hard because like there is, um, we also are naturally tuned to resist 
being pulled yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Of the way that yeah, we see the world. So true. Yep. You know, Plato had it right. Well, what, I mean, your your worldview, both of our worldviews have fundamentally changed A in lot, different yeah. ways mm-hmm. uh, from what we grew up with. What, um... I'm just cutting up the brie here. Yeah, it's good. What, what do you think made that possible for you? I was going to say, I have to, like, narrate everything I do now that the oh, camera's right, we have no camera. Um, give me a big chunk here. Yep. Oh, that's a big chunk. That is a big chunk. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm gonna give it all to you. All right. I hope I like this. I hope you do too. It's brie. It's a little it's definitely a little bit of a stronger brie, but I think you like it. It's brown. That's impressive. It's brown. It's kind of weird looking. Never, yeah, I've never seen a brown brie before, I don't think. That I've never noticed. So here we go about bottoms up. Yeah. All right, that's our third and final tangy, I think. A very metallic taste, too. Yeah. But like, um, it's like a crinkly metallic taste. Like aluminum foil in the mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all right, but I prefer Brie de Mo. Yeah. Oh, and there's a weird... Like after exhale to it? Yep. What is that? Yep, it's in your nose. Yep. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> this is why oh. you gave me the, the bigger piece. Well, yeah, I'm glad I did now. <laughs> I was a little jealous for a second there. I was like, oh, maybe I'll take some of that. Nope. I'm pouring some wines just so I forget this. Um, to answer your question, that's so weird. If you breathe out, if you exhale through your nose. Yep, that... That metal goes up into your nose. It's metallic, but it's also like, it reminds me of, it's like the almost similar sensation to having water up your nose. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Don't recommend. And it lasts for a few breaths. Too. Oh, it's lasting for a lot of breaths. I'm going to, I got to, let's, let's breathe, breathe the wine up through your nose. Ooh, yeah. I will. Um, swell the wine a little bit. Oh, it doesn't agree with the wine either. <clears throat> it really doesn't. Oh, what would really you pair? You, you pair that with turpentine? What would you? <laughs> that's like a bad alcohol. That's like a bad spirit. Is pair what it's reminding me of. Pair it with pickles. Oh my gosh! Wow, that was a sleeper. I, I totally thought we were done with the the bad cheeses for this. Um, I think I think maybe it is a disposition that's different. I always identified myself more with people that made sense in a way, but I also never could jump into that camp. I belonged over here, but I saw people over there who were open to the world. I admired people who opened the world. I admired people who could listen and synthesize an argument and disagree with somebody, but respectfully and also like I, I really respect people who can be curious mm, about totally other people. Agreed. Yeah, and take somebody who at face value is absolutely offensively wrong about something, and not and not be phased by that, but kind of like, babe, why do you believe that? Like, where does that come from? And really wanting to get to know that person. Mm. I respect those things so much, and I think I just didn't see that where I was being. I was it, those those values were lauded within the Christian community that I was raised in. They talked about those being like befriending and loving the poor and right. the downtrodden and aligning yourself with the oppressed, all these things. But then turned around and, and basically took all those labels for themselves, and then were like, "Well, we're the oppressed ones, so obviously we should be aligned with ourselves." Interesting. And became yeah. a very like us versus them thing that was hypocritical in that way. For sure. Yep. So I always was like, I want to go hang out with the party kids, but not because I want to drink. I didn't even really drink till my mid twenties. It was like, 
I, they just look like they're actually enjoying life. And when you talk with them, there's an openness to the world that doesn't exist within the circles that I'm in. Mm. And so I think I was just always pulled to that. So it took me a long time and some very gracious friends along the way who were able to put up with, like, again, be open and listen. Well, I was going to say, yeah, what, what was it about those friends that allowed you to, here I am asking the questions on the podcast, but what was it about <laughs> the friends that allowed you to feel safe enough to do that? I think it was just, well, like the, um, well, kind of like you're saying, meeting, coming to meet you where you're at. Mm. Like, uh, I think of my buddy, John Mark. John Mark Walls, if he ever hears this, <clears throat> high, high quality dude that I knew in Nice. And just his ability to kind of ask questions and be like, well, what, what, I don't know, just ask me some things like, well, what do you actually value in life? You mm. know, and where do you see that being lived out? And then who do you see that be, you know, and had a long ways to go on my journey and still do, but just that ability to sit and, and question me in a way that was honest. And then I could respond honestly. It's not something that can be replicated with somebody who's not willing to be honest back. Like I've, I've tried to be that so for true. people yep. who I've asked them and you can get really twisted answers back where you, they'll, people will just straight up lie to you to protect their own beliefs sometimes. Mm. And I don't think they mean to do it maliciously, but I've experienced that. And, mm. and then other people are, will hear and feel the challenge and reject it later. And then others will hear and feel that challenge and sit with it and it will transform them. And you have to hope that maybe everybody's on the same journey of transformation just at different points. But thankfully, there were people that were patient with me and put up with the absolute garbage that I had to say long enough for me to come around to maybe mm. believing less garbage things. Mm. How about you? Yeah, it's not fair turning that question around on me because I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, I think it's similar. I think it it was... You know, I was also, I also grew up in a somewhat insular uh, thought environment. Um, and it really was... Insular thought environment. Yeah. Really was meeting people outside of it. And uh, it just, uh, yeah, I think it was just realizing that there are multiple ways to see the world. Mm. Um, that... Yeah, but I, I knew that. I just knew yeah. they were also invalid. Well, no, I may have to say, about to say multiple valid ways to yeah, see exactly, the world. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a hard thing to see, though. It is. Then you're raised to believe that there's only one way to see the world. Well, and, but you oh. know what? It always, it's, it, it's hard on, on everybody. I mean, we come from a particular sort of evangelical stripe. Right. Um, and so we see it in the way we grew up. Yeah. But that that same posture it exists, elsewhere, exists yeah. in, in some of the people that some of the people that helped us open our eyes yeah. still take that same posture just on the other side. Yep. Here you go. All right, so this is the Last garlic. Cheese. This is the one garlic that can, can Yeah, the garlic kenkuyot. Feel free to correct me in the comments. The garlicky smell was pretty strong when I opened this. It's like a cheesy spread. Like a fondue almost, even though it's cold. I like it, but you don't really taste the cheese. It's a vehicle for the garlic. Yeah, the garlic is the strongest, which I love. And it's helping to cleanse my nasal passage after <laughs> that last cheese. Yeah, but it's mostly garlic. It's like a, a garlic cheese. This would make a good garlic toast. Mm -hmm. You'd probably have a heart attack after, but it'd be worth it. And there we've done it. And gotten through all these cheeses. We had another dozen cheeses knocked out. Yeah, I think, I think, I guess if anybody's out there like that wants to 
that sees, you know, people out there that have attractive. I think that's part of it was like I was attracted to people. I was attracted to people's worldviews right, right. and to their, even if I didn't agree with them, there was something about them in their life and their bearing in the way that they approached the world that I found attractive. And that's true in the side the church and out. And, you know, within mercy ships and, and not um, every, everywhere I've ever been here in Paris and not like there are whole groups of people here that I'm not interested in. And, you know, and then there's, there are a lot of people that I find that, that, that absolutely shock me. And then you get to have conversations with people that, you know, 20 years ago I would have, thought well your lifestyle and the way you do the xyz is wrong and bad and whatever and probably would have said some hurtful things Mm. in trying to be quote-unquote loving right and then to learn to be truly loving along the way has changed everything about that yeah and now i have friends that have those lifestyles that i was raised to condemn Mm -hmm. in love of course Mm -hmm. of course always lovingly condemning because we as the condemners get to define what love means, exactly. not the recipient, exactly. which is, I think, just backwards. Also not really how love works. It turns right. out that yep. is how I was raised as well yep. um, in so many ways. And, uh, and so I guess lean, lean, be careful because some, some things are definitely attractive that are bad for us. But I think just pay attention to that. Like if you see people in the world that um, whether that's somebody like uh, a great thinker or a writer or people in your community, whether you have access to them or not, to spend more time absorbing those things that attract you to a brighter, more open, more lovely world and let that illuminate the way that you see where you come from. And then you can choose what you keep and what you right. let go of. Right. Shameless plug for the, for my book, but I plug away. There's a, there's a, a sort of one of the running themes through the book is this idea of othering. Yeah. Um, and that our posture of, we, we know what's right both for us and for you. Yeah is an automatic othering. It's an automatic uh, creation of a structure of dominance and a structure yep. of, I, I'm the one that holds holds the truth. And, uh, and whether or not it's intended, it puts the person at a distance from you and it yep. just slightly dehumanizes that person yep. into a project or into a... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's with the openness and the curious. I, I love that word, the curiosity and the posture of a of a learner, um, goes a, a fair way to sort of mitigate. Uh, is is I can should be learning from you. Yep. Can should learn from your experience and to the question of like, what does it mean for you to feel loved? Yeah. What does love look like for you? Because that's how I can love you best. Um, as opposed to seeing you as some, you know, capital O other. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about that like with this book, but also in conversations I've been having that recognition that your entire emotional experience is only happening within you anyways. Yeah, very true. And loving someone else, feeling loved or seen or like there's a connection with somebody often is something that's also purely happening within yourself, which is where you get people that are obsessive with people that they've mm. never met or who mm. have don't have that connection. Mm. We, we looked longingly into each other's eyes for so long and I felt this connection. The other person's like, I'm hungry. Um, whatever <laughs> Why it is. is he staring at me? Why is he staring at me? Um, and so that, like, coming to a place where you recognize that all these things that we do are, I guess, for better or for worse, like, they're, they, are, they are within, to some degree, our control. And, like, to get to your point about othering beings and something that's also that's dehumanizing and distancing and like the reason that we do that so often 
is just for our own like unhealthy benefit as far as right and I, I i don't just listening to you describe that is something that i felt like i felt the hypocrisy of being like oh well you know i'm here to love you and listen to you but mm. like it in the back of my mind it's like this is my project like th- i right. do have an agenda right. i do have a reason that i'm doing this right. Right. and it's really all for me it, it actually isn't for this person like i'm looking to score some points for saving them you know oh but it's for them because obviously they need to be saved but like yeah but i will be look i'll look pretty cool it's easier to see the world through certainty Mm -hmm. it's easier to see the world through certainty and through like well i I, i've got the answers uncertainty mystery are hard for us as human especially as sort of post-enlightenment rational human beings mystery is not something we like no we want to have an answer to to all of these things i'm going to actually end this on a quote from another book that I started recently uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I need to read that. Is it good? Yeah. Okay. It's been on my list it's for very, a It's time. a little bit more academic than the other ones I've been reading, um, but not uh, unapproachably academic. Okay. It's very good. And this one actually took me... I had to reread this like four times. It might have been very late. I might have had some drinks, but this is uh, Rainier Maria Rilke. Who's, it's just the quote that opens this chapter. But she says... <clears throat> Be patient toward all that is unresolved or unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And that will leave you with that. Thanks, Mark, for coming on. Thanks, Jay, for having me. The link to his boat, his boat, his book about boats in the, bio, in the bio. Links below to his book. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks to my patrons, of course, for making this all possible. And, uh, yeah, see you again in a couple of weeks.